for Lent, we've been um, going through Hebrews, and uh, the title of the series is Make a Way. And um, last week, you heard Pastor Tim talk about making a way to glory, and, and chapters 1 and a little bit of 2 in Hebrews, and how they talk about, um, you know, God giving his son, Jesus Christ, and he is, Jesus is both son of God and son of man, and, and those two roles, and how it really brings us into glory, you know, and that we're given um, as a gift to the Son, to Jesus, um, so that we may be partakers of that glory as well. And um, this morning we're going to be in chapter 2, looking at verses 10 through 18, and we're going to be talking about freedom. You heard Tim on the video talking about, you know, um, that Jesus is the pathway to freedom. And we're going to be looking at that this morning through these verses, and we're going to be talking about how the specific path that Jesus took here on earth is important in understanding our freedom and important in understanding where the, the authority and where, um, <clears throat> where the, like the facts, the evidence of where our freedom comes from sits. And so we're going to be um, looking at that so that way as we go out and we experience life and we try to walk in, in favor with Christ and walk in line with who God has called us to be, that we can have confidence and assurance of the freedom that we do have as being a part of the body of Christ. And so with that, let's stand and, uh, if you would, for the reading of God's word this morning. We're in Hebrews chapter 2, starting with verse 10 through 18. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death are subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Amen. May God add the richest blessings to his word. You may be seated. So the author here, he does a really good job of just like walking, you know, walking you through this argument, and it's point by point. And um, yeah, to dive in, we could probably spend all day, right, going word by word, because there's just, it's such a rich passage, and so um, worded so well. And so um, hopefully this morning, we'll take a few words out and be able to work through them and understand kind of an idea that is coming out of this, this passage. <clears throat> So we have verse 10, and it starts with God saying, 
for it was fitting. And so right from the beginning this morning, we know that what we're about to hear, what we're about to talk about, that God found it fitting. It was appropriate. It was in line with how God designed it. And what is fitting is the process by which Jesus walks towards the cross. And that process involved suffering. And suffering can be a pretty painful and hard thing to experience and a pretty depressing thing to talk about. But if that's what we stop talking about is when we get to the point of suffering and we just stop talking about suffering, then we're not actually, we're going to get depressed, right? Because it's sad. But this morning, we're talking about suffering that results in freedom. That the suffering that Jesus walked through brings us to a place where we can experience freedom, where we can experience no longer a fear of death, but walk in the calling of who we are and walk in accordance with our relationship to God the Father through Jesus Christ. And so he says it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, right? It establishes God's authority, and we know that God is God. And there is nothing that anybody or anything can do to challenge God, because it's, he is it, right? He, he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It stop, begins and ends with him. And so we come to this knowing, okay, you know, like, we already know there's a uniqueness and there's something special about Jesus Christ. And we already know that he was the son of God, he's the son of man, and there is something unique about him. And so all other religions, they have their stories, but Christianity, they have Jesus Christ. And it's unique, and it's specific to who Jesus is, and it's important to how we know we are walking in faith and how we know what our relationship with God is called to be. What isn't so comfortable is the peace of suffering that is a part of our Christian walk. God found it fitting, and he says that make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. This is the founder of our salvation, right? When we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, we have a firmness in that he is the source of our salvation. And that means something. That, that means that he has a special place. He has something unique about him. And it says that he was made, the, fa- the founder of our faith was made perfect through suffering. So this process of going through suffering, right? Jesus' life here on earth wasn't all great, right? It wasn't always easy. It wasn't always enjoyable. And in fact, when he hits the f- period of his ministry, it gets really intense and things get tough. And he experiences a lot of pain, and a lot of suffering. And God says, yes. You know, yes. That was appropriate. And that was fitting. And that can be hard sometimes to understand because how could a father look at his son and say the suffering was good? I told this in the first service and it's a a confessional moment and my wife is um, here, so she'll laugh and affirm this in more ways than one. But last night, as I was working on the sermon, um, Quinn, you know, he is like, I have to go to church with Daddy in the morning. And like, 
every Saturday night. It's, okay, if I'm not up, you need to come wake me up. I don't care. I don't care that I'll be sleeping. You just wake me up, you know? And he's like, he is intense about being here with me when I leave. And last night, he just, he didn't want to go to bed. And so we were, you know, up and down trying to get him to stay in bed. Christina finally goes up and says, listen, if you get out of your bed one more time, you will not be going with daddy in the morning. She comes down, you know, we try and parent together um, as best we can. And she says, I want you to know that this is what I told him. I said, okay, all right. So we're, we're good. You know, Quinn's quiet for maybe five, ten minutes. Then you hear the door open. And you hear, he's not coming out because he's like, he gets something's like going to happen. And he says, daddy, daddy, you know, he's calling. And I'm like, what do you want? And he's like, well, I just, and I'm like, Quinn, are you hurt? He's like, no. Well, is there anything wrong with you? Well, but I, no, go back to bed. But dad, it's something more about me. And I'm like, what? He's like, I don't want to go to bed. And I was like, of course, clearly, yes. So at that moment, the team parenting thing to do would have been to say, because by this point he was like halfway down the steps, and so he really did break the rule, would it be like, I'm sorry, bud, but you're not coming with me. But in my loving self and my, you know, respect for my wife, of course, because if he didn't come, she would have to deal with him this morning, and I clearly did not want that, and um, clearly did not want the 10-minute tantrum that night, I said, you have to count to three to get back in your room, and that's it. And he goes back up and he goes to sleep. And, you know, I'm sitting at the table. She's sitting in the chair. Christina just looks at me and she says, you are too nice. And it is true. It is true. I will. That is my weakness. I will give up pain and suffering for peace. I will do that. I admit it. I confess it. It's true. And I think about this, right? God looked at his son and knew, right? Like, A five-minute tantrum is nothing in comparison, right, to the suffering of Jesus Christ. And God looks at him, and he says, we're going to do this. We're going to go through it, you know? And we get to that point where Jesus is on the cross, right? And God turns away. And Jesus says, like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? And there is this silence. And the, the fullness of the pain of the suffering of that moment comes, comes to a climax right there, right? Because Jesus, he's like, fine, I'll take the bruises, right? Like, I'll take the physical pain. I'll take the mockery. I'll take everything else. But God, don't leave me, you know? That is a pain, that's a level of suffering that I can't handle. I can't manage the fact of my life being in existence without some type of connection to the Father. And God still doesn't say, okay, <laughs> you know? Like, he stays strong, and he, and he goes through it. And he doesn't give up on it. He's, he sees it to the end. And that's pain, right? That's, that's suffering. But God does it because he understands what it does, right? He understands that this needs to happen. 
verse 9, which is right before 10, he says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. It's right there, right? Like this little snippet of the gospel, clearly defined. He says, in jumping down then to verse 11, for he who sanctifies, that's for, for the one who can make us holy, who can set us apart, and those who are us, us who are sanctified, we're set apart, we're made holy, all have one source, God the Father. And that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name of my brothers. He says, jumping down to verse 13, behold, I and the children God has given me. God turns his face away and he does not speak to the son because he wants his son to have in the fullness the gift that he has given him, which is us. That we are a gift. We are a gift towards the son. And because of us being that gift, God says, you will walk through this. It is fitting that in order for you to receive the gift that I have given you, that you experience this because, right? Because if you don't, the gift won't be able to be what it's meant to be. If you don't walk through this, the gift actually won't be able to be as valuable. It will have to be crushed, right? Because we carry with us this level of sin that can't stand in the presence of God. But when we are washed in the blood, of the Son, we can now stand in the presence of God and be received in that same posture as Jesus Christ is received by God the Father. And he calls us, right, in the scriptures, he calls us brothers. There is now a, a relationship and identity that we get to have because of who Jesus Christ is and because of his willingness and voluntarily walking through the suffering that was laid out before him. It's just beautiful picture. I don't know if you've ever gotten, um, this is a horrible analogy because how can you compare anything to the, to the suffering, the gospel, and a gift such as this? But have you ever gotten a pet as a gift? And it's like when you get that pet, it's a living thing, you know, and so there's like this, this connection. And you want to like play with it and like if it's a little dog, you know. I remember like getting a, um, our one dog, um, my first dog is a black lab and Fortunately, he was a little nuts, but that goes with, the, goes with the scene. And so I remember getting this dog, and my mom had the rule that he wasn't allowed in the house. But we had this, like, little breezeway between the garage and the house and the, and the kitchen and stuff. And so he could be in there. And I remember it would be cold, but I would lay out there on the, on the floor or on this little couch we had out there, and I would have the dog, and it, he would be up on the couch with me, and we'd just lay there. And, you know, it's just like you want to— give him, you know, and you make sure he's comfortable, and you're playing, you got the ball, you're playing with him, what's he want to do next, and, and, you know, it's like when you have something like that, that you care about, you want to provide for it, right, in all the ways that you have the ability to do, and that's what Jesus Christ does, right, he's given this gift, he's like, if I'm going to actually provide in all the ways that I am capable and willing to do, and it actually means I'm walking this road. And he doesn't walk the road not only to make the gift valuable and make it worth, but he walks this path because he actually shows us 
how to walk with him. Right? The path isn't just for him, but the path is for us. And we go through life experiencing painful things. And we go through life wrestling with this fact that we have a part of us that just thinks sin might be okay in these moments. And we go through life and we experience the sin of others affecting our life. And it causes pain in our life. And it causes suffering in our life. And, and that hurts. And for some of us, maybe we've actually experienced moments in our life where we begin to question God. And we ask God why, you know? And, and we think about experiences. I can think of experiences in my own life growing up where I'm just like, wow, like how, in the, like if God is really good, you know? And we say these things, like if God is sovereign, if, if God is truly in control of everything, why would he let this happen, you know? Or why don't I get this yet, you know? Like, I know God is good, okay, I can believe that, and, but yet this thing that has happened in my life, it's still there, and it's still affecting me, and it still makes me not be okay with who I am, and why, God, can't you just be okay, like, help me be okay, and why can't I understand it, and, and I try, God, and it just, I fail, and I get frustrated, and, and we have all these questions, right, and we have all of this junk in our life, gets in the way. And I don't know about you, but I know for myself that when I get in those spots, I've found that I've lost who God says I am. And instead of saying that I'm going to allow God to define who I am, and I'm going to let God's word be soothing and healing and comforting in my life. I approach God's word as if it's condemning, and it's holding me to something I can't be. And I don't actually rest in who God says I am. And I let the world and all of these other experiences determine who I am, and define how I should be, or how I should respond, and how I should act. And so if maybe I go into social situations and I withdraw and I'm quiet because all of a sudden my insecurities show up in my life. Or maybe I overcompensate and I walk into a social setting and I take center stage, you know, and I make sure that I, I'm tracking everything and making sure that the social thing is going the way I want it to go because I'm compensating for insecurities in my life. But that doesn't actually gain what God is offering me. It doesn't actually allow me to function in the freedom that Jesus Christ has established for us in this life. That his death and resurrection on the cross makes freedom available. It makes it so that I can come to the word of God and find conviction, not find condemnation. You know, we're not bound by the law anymore, right? We're we're told this. And so when I come and say, oh, I'm such a sinner, I did this, this, and this— That may be true, but if I respond by feeling ashamed and feeling disappointed in myself, and so I withdraw from God, and I isolate myself from God, then I'm actually not walking in freedom. 
I'm allowing my sin to define me in a way that's not appropriate. And it's not what God designed in how he allowed Christ, Jesus, our Savior, to walk through suffering. We get to this place where when we are sitting in that, in that spot of feeling like we can't approach God because our sin is in our life, and so we withdraw and we say, no, like, God, I'm not worthy to be seen by you or in front of you. We get to this place where we actually, not necessarily consciously, but we forget about Jesus. And his whole purpose is to be this doorway, this access for us to God the Father. And his whole point is that he walked this road of suffering so that we, not that we wouldn't have to. He doesn't promise that we don't have to experience this. But he does walk this road because he wants us to know that he's there. He's an aid for us through this, these experiences. And so when I'm sitting there being like, I can't approach him. Well, you can approach God's son. You can approach the son of God and you can say, like, yeah. Like, this isn't going to work, right? It's not working in me. But you figured out how to make it work. And you allowed it to work in you, and you voluntarily walked a road that you knew I wouldn't be able to do. And you stand in him. And so what it does is it calls us to repentance, right? It calls us to humility, It calls us to lay down whatever pride or perception of ourselves that we have to be better than we are so that we can go up to Jesus and say, thank you. I can't stand anywhere else but here. And this is where freedom is available. You know, right here with Jesus Christ. And when I stand there, I don't have to be worried about what defines me. I don't have to be worried about all this sin or junk that goes on in the world. And I can be worried about who God thinks I am. And it's clear he thinks we are a precious gift. One that is adopted into his family and he calls brother. Verse 16 15 and 16, he says um, that, well, actually, let's jump up a little bit to 14. It says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, right? He himself likewise partook of the same things. This works because Jesus came in the flesh, right? This whole process of, of experiencing suffering is made effective, made important and valuable because Jesus actually takes on our flesh. This is how we can know and trust and stand firm that God understands, that Jesus knows what it is to go through life. He says that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those, all of us, who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We might be afraid of dying, right? There are certain ways that I definitely do not want to experience death. (laughs) Like, I give you those lists, but it's really irrelevant. (laughs) But we all got them, right? Like, there's just certain ways that we're just like, yeah, if I had to choose how to end this physical life, it would not be this way or this way, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the fear of death. 
fear of not existing, the fear of experiencing the consequence of sin. That's, that's not fear we have to have. Because when we stand in the light of our Savior, when we stand in him, he has already conquered death. Right? Death, where is your sting? Where does it hurt? It doesn't. Because Jesus walked that road. He already showed us the path. And granted, that path is narrow, right? It's not like it's wide and we can all find it in our own way of life. It's narrow. And we got to f- figure out how to stay on that narrow path. But he already walked it. And so we don't actually have to live our life in fear of the consequence of sin. It doesn't mean that we can go sin, right? That's Romans. We can't just go sin however we want and grace will abound, right? But it is to say that we don't have to be afraid that our sin defines us in a way that is not healthy. That's the lies of the enemy, right? It's the lie of the world, that it wants to tell us that we're less than who we are, that we're worthless, that we are incapable of things, that we're unable to actually be what God calls us to be in a moment. You know, preparing for this moment right now, right? Like, how many thoughts in my head did I have to say, no, like, don't listen to that, right? Because the insecurities of being in front of people and saying something silly or stupid, right? It's there. It's real. And I could let that define me and say, yeah, you're right. You know, like, you are going to mess up and say something. Or I could say, you know what? That may happen, but that doesn't define me. I can't keep those things from happening, right? I can't make my life be all nice and pretty and work well. But I can decide what I want to define me. And what I want to define me is my Savior, Jesus Christ. Because everything he says feels good about who I am, right? But everything the world says doesn't make me feel good. And so often I run into this with people who are struggling with feeling worth, is that they'll say, like, but I can't actually listen to that positive stuff. It's just not true. If it wasn't true, then why in the world would we have scripture that tells us over and over that we are valued, that we are children of God, and that we are something worth the sacrifice of life? That doesn't make sense. We can't say we can only listen to the negative in our life. It's not true. And yes, we do mess up, and that happens, and that's okay. Not because messing up is okay. It's okay because that's life, and that doesn't have to define us. It doesn't have to be the source that actually says that we are this, this, and this. This actually can be available, right? There's freedom here to be protected from all the lies of the world, all the junk that wants to tell us we're something we're not, and we're free to function and be. And so when I look at somebody who's done something wrong against me, or when I look at my own self and I see that I've done something not okay, I'm going to have feelings about it, right? Like I'm going to feel bad. I might even feel a little embarrassed or ashamed that that actually happened. But there needs to be grace to say, I'm not going to stay there. I'm not going to stay and sit with my shame. I'm going to be responsible, but I'm going to take it before God, and I'm going to reestablish that, no, 
in Jesus is where I stand and where I have freedom. And we stay there, and it is available because of what God did, and it's what's available that the author of Hebrews is saying in this passage. Verse 17, he says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. When we acknowledge that standing in the presence of God brings, standing in in Jesus, right, and we stay there, we are recipients then of his mercy. And we are able to receive mercy from the Son in a way that isn't able to be experienced outside of our identity in him. And it's a really special kind of mercy that we get to feel because of who God is and what he has done for us. And then he functions as our faithful high priest, right? So in the Old Testament, we know that the priests, they went into the temple and they offered these sacrifices on behalf of, right? And that blood just covered. But this blood, the blood of Jesus, it actually washes, it actually cleanses, and it makes the freedom accessible and available for each and every one of us. Verse 18 goes on to say then, says, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He, he is our resource in times of temptation. He is our resource in times where the suffering and the pain is great and we can't find a way out. He's where we go. And so often, all that mixed messages and that junk, like we were saying, wants to keep us away. But we just need to just, just quiet ourselves, right? Like, so much of this is not about, like, personal practices, really important, right? So I don't want to ignore the fact that we need to be reading the scriptures. We need to be in, in the word, and we need to know this stuff. But when we're at that place where our heart feels condemned— It's so much more important to just sit in his presence, to just be, and to listen, and to say, God, what what do you say about me? What do you think about me? What, who am I? And to listen to what God says, right? Open the scriptures, definitely because this is where he tells us. And read the stuff where it's like, you are a child of God. Read the stuff that says you are beloved. Read about Jesus and let the little children come to him, you know. Read about how we are heirs to the throne. And then say, yeah, that other stuff that's bringing me down, I need to let go. Or God, forgive me. I want to be what you call me to be. Jesus, in, in the Gospels, we hear about how Jesus goes into the wilderness after being baptized and being tempted. There's three different temptations that are recorded. One, he has to turn the rock into bread, right? Saying it's like, here, you're hungry. Meet your need, right? Turn this rock into, into a loaf of bread. And Jesus says, no. 
Second is he says, you know, he takes them up, he shows them all the kingdoms, the snapshot of the kingdoms of the world. He says, all this is yours, you know, it can be all of yours. Jesus is like, no, right? Well, first two, about the world, right? What can the lies of the world offer us? Only the world. What do we know? We know that this world is not for us, right? We know that as we walk in faith, when we walk as an identity, as being a believer of Jesus Christ, that what this world has to offer pales in comparison to what God and eternity with him has to offer. And so, enemy, it's only going to offer us what is available. And what's available, we got to remind ourselves, is a lot less than what's available in God. Because what's available from the enemy is actually slavery. It's bondage to this world. It's something that gets us stuck. But what's available in God is freedom. The third one is, he takes um, Jesus to Jerusalem. He says, jump off, you know, the angels will catch you. And, and Jesus says, you know, don't, do not test the Lord your God. The enemy gets us at this point so much with this piece of freedom and walking in, right? Because when I am in pain and when I am suffering, the questions come out of questioning God. They can actually create a bitterness or a hardness of our heart because we think God should be something else to us. That's the enemy doing number three, right? And so if we think, if we think that Jesus doesn't understand that, we got proof right there, right? In Luke chapter four. In the same way that we experience pain and suffering in earth, Jesus experienced it. It might not be in a car accident. It might not be in an illness. It might not be in a broken relationship. But the idea is there. God experienced the same type of temptations. And so that's not saying that Jesus is better than us, and so we shouldn't go to him in those moments. It's saying that he understands. He gets it. He's saying, come to me, let me bear this burden with you. It's an invitation because he understands. He's like, I want you to have what is available to me. And what's available to me is freedom. And I want you to live in that freedom. Come, live in that freedom. I've walked the path. I've set the way. I've showed you life is going to be tough. You're going to experience painful moments. I've showed you how to walk through them. I've showed you that I am here for you when you go through them. So come, abide with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, just thank you for your word. Thank you for Hebrews and the author just going after it. You know, he just goes after it and you could tell just like the heart of the words of these passages just about empowering and freeing your people you know that we we believe at the core the truths of your word that they may set us free the word says right the truth will set us free and lord i just pray this morning that the truth of your word would be freedom in our ears 
result in freedom in our soul, that it would break off bondage of sin and pain in our life, and that there would be a softness to our heart to receive you and your spirit. That as we continue in life, as we keep walking, as faithful servants of Jesus Christ, that we would know that you are with us and we are not alone. In your name, amen.